Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a new topic or trend so you can stay informed the easy way. So Rena, what are we talking about this week? This week, I have been watching the four-part documentary series on Arte about Mohamed Ali. It is amazing. Each part is about an hour and a half, and there's four of them, so it takes some time to watch them, but they're incredibly thorough, and they're incredibly well-made. The reason these documentaries are running is because tomorrow, January 17th, is Mohamed Ali's birthday. He would have been turning 80 this year. He was born in 1942, and he died on June 3rd, 2016, so quite recently. So yes, I actually did not know a lot about Muhammad Ali. Of course, his name is in pop culture, so we've all heard of him, or I had. And of course, I knew he was a boxer. But if I'm completely honest, that was the extent of what I knew about him. So this documentary was incredibly eye-opening to learn more about him and where he came from and his story and his history and just... I mean, he did some amazing things, like he, well, I'll talk about them later, I was about to get ahead of myself. Yeah, that's the thing about Ali, actually, he represents so much more than boxing. In my apartment, where it's all, you know, books and bohemian, and there's pictures of flowers everywhere, and there's plants and stuff. Above the desk, which is also super, like, shabby chic, it used to be an old sewing desk, so, you know, where you put your little reels of thread, and now I use it for post-it notes, because I use a lot of post-it notes. Above the desk, I have a picture, which kind of stands out to everyone who sees it, of Muhammad Ali standing above Sonny Liston, after having just beaten him, and Sonny Liston is on the floor, and Muhammad Ali has just got this, he's fierce... His face is just like, yeah, I just fucking punched this guy to the floor. And that's above my desk, which is really weird. I think a lot of people find that weird. But the thing about Ali is he does represent to me total confidence and power and purpose. And it wasn't just about the boxing. And even later in life, he actually said it wasn't about the boxing. He realized that in his life, he had to get, I mean, he liked boxing and he was really good at boxing. But he was aiming to get to a position of power and platform and wealth in order to bring everyone up with him and to really like just be himself with a platform and have power. That for me as a writer is very powerful and that's why it's above this writing desk. But yeah, like you were saying, he's way, way, way more than just just boxing. I have to say your apartment is probably my favorite place in Berlin. I love your apartment. It's so cozy and lovely in there. And I've often seen that picture, and I mean, I obviously recognize that it was Muhammad Ali, but I didn't know anything about him. So yes, that is actually a photo of when he won the heavyweight championship against Liston on February 25th, 1964. He was 22 years old. He became the heavyweight champion. The one thing I don't fully understand about boxing is the way it works. What does heavyweight mean? But that's irrelevant. I can only take a guess here, but my instinct and my feeling, which could be wrong, is it's literally to do with weight, like how much you weigh, because that's really important. And the thing about Ali also was like he won the Olympics beforehand, I think, as a lightweight. But I think the thing was also, I don't think he was too massive or too heavy. 
in the heavyweight category, he was always a little bit on the lighter side, which is why he just moved a lot. When you watch his fights, he's just dancing around and dancing around. That's why this wonderful saying that he had, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, kind of comes in. And also on that note, I think he was very poetic as well. When he spoke, he just really had a way of speaking. He had a lot to say. He came up with amazing poetic sort of phrases and things like that, which is also actually quite inspiring for a writer. Yeah. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why he tends to stand out so much, because at that time, boxers usually let their managers do a lot of the speaking. And especially as over the course of this documentary, a lot of them were not very well spoken. It wasn't their job. They don't need to be articulate. They need to be good at knocking people out. And they were. So, but he was very well spoken. So, if you compete in the Olympics, you're not a professional. Like, I didn't fully understand that. But so he won the Olympic gold medal before he went pro. That was the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. And after that, he went pro. It's interesting that you mention sort of that he was really poetic because he got this from his father. So, a little bit of background on Muhammad Ali. He was born in. Louisville, Kentucky. His birth name is Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. He was named after his father. And his father was a painter. And he was very into poetry and reading. And he was known for being very articulate and charming. So he, Ali, inherited all of these things from his father. Unfortunately, his father didn't have many chances to paint. So he mostly painted literal painting, not artistic painting, but like painted walls and signs and stuff like that. That is how he made his living. And I think that in the documentary, they said it wasn't confirmed, but it's suspected that Ali was dyslexic. He wasn't very good in school. He didn't do very well in school, and he just barely managed to graduate. In fact, he graduated by the good grace of his principal, because at that time he was already boxing, and his principal was like, just give him the degree. Like He doesn't need to be smart. He's going to be a world-class boxer one day. Cassius, as he was known at the time, came to boxing in a super interesting way. So he and his younger brother were riding their bike down the street. His brother was sitting on the front of his bars, like handlebars, and it began to rain. So they ducked into a building. And when they came back out, when the rain had stopped, his bike was gone. And he was so mad and he was fuming. He went back inside and was like asking for help. And someone told him that in the basement of the building, there was a policeman. So he goes down to the basement to report the theft of this bike to this policeman. He's 12 years old at this time. And this policeman is running a boxing class for boys down there, for both white boys and black boys mixed, keeping in mind, you know, this would have been like 1954. I hope my math is right there. You know, so this is in the beginning of the civil rights movement. Segregation is still a thing. And this policeman is running these boxing classes for these boys down there. And Ali's super mad. He's super angry. I'm just going to refer to him as Ali, by the way. I want to be respectful, even though at that point, legally, his name was Cassius Clay. But I'm just going to continue to refer to him as Ali so we don't get confused. And because that was the name he chose and wants to be referred by. Anyway, so Ali goes down there and he's angry and he's yelling and he's screaming about how he's going to find these thieves and he's going to beat them up. And this policeman is like, how are you going to beat them up? Do you know how to fight? And he's like, no. And the guy's like, all right, I'm going to teach you how to fight. And he was not interested. He was like, no, I don't want to learn how to fight. And he left again. And then a couple weeks later, he watched a boxing fight on, I almost said online, hilarious. 
he watched a boxing fight on television and was so fascinated, he went back and was like, I want to learn how to fight. And so he began to train and it was for free. He learned how to box with all these other boys his age. And one of the things that is kind of interesting is when you hear them talk to his former trainers and stuff, all of them are like, he wasn't very good. Like he wasn't a good boxer. He was kind of skinny. He just wasn't good, but he was fast. He was a dancer as they called them. He had really long arms. He's one meter, like 90. He's super tall. And as you mentioned, yeah, he was kind of thin. He was lighter and thinner than most in the heavyweight class. So he was able to move really quickly. So people couldn't get a hold of him. If you watch all of his boxing matches, you're like, yeah, he's so elegant. He's so smooth. He moves so quickly. And of course, the more he trained, the more he became good at boxing because, you know, you practice hard enough, you will become good. And it was so it was this combination of practicing really hard and just being light on your feet and being able to move and be really graceful that made him who he was, but also his larger than life personality. He said what he thought, you know, he never held back. He was known for before every match predicting in how many rounds he was going to win. If you don't know anything about boxing, and I'm going to completely admit that before this documentary, I didn't know anything about boxing. But boxing happens in 15 rounds, and you lose if you are knocked out. You don't get up quickly enough. I think you have like three seconds or five seconds to get up. And then there's also something called a technical KO, which is if the referee decides you're not knocked out, but you're essentially knocked out, like your eyes are swollen, you're bleeding, and the referee be like, nope, absolutely not calling it. And then of course, if it's a draw, then you know they'll go into like who won what round, and in the end, someone will be declared the winner based on that. So that's boxing. Honestly, my one complaint about this documentary is there's too much boxing in it, which I know is a stupid thing to say considering it's a documentary about Muhammad Ali and he was a boxer. But actually the things about him that I find super fascinating are his involvement in civil rights, his involvement with the Nation of Islam, his involvement with Elijah Muhammad, who was the leader of the Nation of Islam, his involvement with Malcolm X, his friendship with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He op- opposed the Vietnam War, like incredibly inspiring figure when it comes to politics. Yeah, I mean, even after he got Parkinson's with 9-11, for example, he spoke out about you know, Islam and trying to just explain that this was not the religion, was not blowing everyone up and stuff, which he had a very hard time at that point even trying to speak. And even doing like after he retired, you know, the Bush years, he negotiated the release of US prisoners, even though he didn't agree with that war as well. He stood by like Nelson Mandela, he did so much. It's really interesting that you talk about like, how, yeah, he wasn't very good, but the thing is what he did, so he kind of announced himself as the best and he announced himself, he like, he coined his own term, which was the greatest of all time before he even really was. I mean, he really actually was as well. Like of, I think, 67 boxing matches, he lost five altogether and four of them were when he was way past his prime. You know, when, when he was in his prime, by the way, he uh, refused to be drafted for the Vietnam War. So they took away his right to box, his championship. He was convicted by an all-white jury. 
and given the maximum sentence by the judge, even against the prosecutor's wishes for like dodging the draft, even though he was legitimately a conscientious objector and people like, you know, Bill Clinton and all these white kids were getting away with it as well. He was one of the first ones. And so during his prime, he really wasn't actually allowed to box. So when he was very good, but he went in there with full confidence. And that's what's really key. And I was listening to Mike Tyson's podcast. I don't know if you know that Mike Tyson has a podcast, but it's actually pretty interesting and pretty good. And again, like Muhammad Ali, you know, you sometimes think of boxers or sports people as kind of not having much to say or they don't get too involved. But Mike Tyson talks to a bunch of people like Eminem. And it's also a super interesting podcast because it treads the line between kind of vulnerability and spirituality somehow. It's super interesting. But anyway, he was talking to the gold medalist boxer Clarissa Shields, who calls herself, quote, the greatest woman of all time. And Muhammad Ali is her role model. And she says, yeah, it's because also she wants to be an activist. But about this confidence, she's like, yeah, I feel like as a woman, I can just be myself because he modeled that for me. When he was saying, I'm black, I'm beautiful... No black man was supposed to act like that. No black man was supposed to have that amount of confidence in themselves and their blackness and call it beautiful and great. No black man was supposed to be like, I'm not going to go to kill a bunch of, you know, Vietnamese people. I've got no problem with them. Even though he would have actually probably just been boxing for the troops for entertainment and not even put his life at risk. But during this interview, he said, this is my belief and you can take the boxing away or you can even put me in front of a firing squad, and in order to do what I believe, I would face that rather than do something that I don't believe in. And again, it's this big, he had this big belief in himself, and during this uh, conversation on the podcast, when Clarissa and Mike Tyson were talking, they were saying, yeah, when you step into the ring, it's all ego. It's like an alter ego, even. And in that sense, I'm actually completely against boxing. (laughs) It's kind of brutal and is probably the reason, could be the reason he got Parkinson's because, I mean, he got hit in the head quite a lot. That aside, there's something to it that we can all kind of take away to, like self-belief and confidence no matter what and the ability to go in with full ego because there's power in that and there's fight in that and you can win doing that. And I think it's really important to note that he was prepared to go to jail for not fighting in the Vietnam War. He would have had to go to jail for five years and he was willing to do that. And not only that, like he so strongly believed in this conviction that he gave up his golden years in boxing, right? They took away his license. He wasn't allowed to box. And those were his prime years. And he was so against this war. He has a great quote where he says he was talking about how in the United States, they call him the N-word. And he's like, no one in Vietnam ever called me that. He's like, why should I go blow them up? They've done nothing to me. And I think that's what it is. He was so, he truly believed the things he believed. And it wasn't a show. Like he wasn't trying to get out of the draft as so many privileged white people were. In the documentary, they were talking about how The 1955 murder of Emmett Till really, really impacted him. And they were interviewing his daughter, Rashida. And she said that like, to the day he died, he talked about how much this impact had on him. If you don't know who Emmett Till is, Emmett Till was a young boy who, at the age of 14, apparently whistled after 
a white woman, and this essentially caused a group of white men to torture and murder him. 14 years old. He was a baby. At his funeral, his mother was like, I want that casket to be open because I want everyone to see what they did to my baby. It's so horrible. Poor Emmett. But yeah, it left a huge impact on Ali as a child, which obviously, if you are a black person living during this time, or even till today, of course, all these things are going to have monumental effects on you. They're horrific. And the reality that you had to live in were terrible and still are terrible to this day. But back to Ali, he, as you're saying, yes, he had this confidence that people didn't want him to have. He also, when he changed his name, he insisted that it was because Cassius Clay was a slave name and he didn't want his slave name, which there is a point to that. A lot of of the names are either the names of the former slaveholders or they were the names of what you worked with. So if someone has a last name Cotton, then their ancestors who were enslaved worked on cotton fields. So, you know, he he said, this is the name that the white people have given us and I want to choose a new name for myself. And actually the name Muhammad Ali was given to him by Elijah Muhammad, who was a leader of the Nation of Islam. The thing about the Nation of Islam was, so they're a black separatist group. And the thing about them is that they're kind of problematic, especially nowadays. They're viewed as being very like anti-Semitic. They've been accused, I think, of being anti-LGBT. So they're not really that great. But when you're listening to them talk and you're listening to the ideas that they're preaching, specifically back in the 1950s, black people in America had just gone through slavery. They were living through segregation. And I mean, they continue to live in terrible circumstances today, right? Like, as we know, racism isn't over and solved. But you can kind of, in a way, understand why they would want to live away from white people. Because white people had done nothing but enslave, torture, abuse, just horrible things to them. Like, yes, of course you wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. And so Ali at the beginning really bought into this sort of rhetoric. And he makes some interesting points. One of the things that he says in the documentary, they show a clip of it, where they're talking about like these white suburbs. Suburbs are this like super racist concept. They were built to keep black people out, but we'll link something in the newsletter about how racist suburbs are. It's ridiculous. And when he was talking about segregation and integration, Ali was like, why would I go somewhere where I'm not wanted? Why do I have to beg the white man for acceptance? I don't need his approval. And I see his point. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously racism and sexism are completely different beasts. But if I think to my own experience as a woman, it's like, I don't need men to accept me to validate me. Like, I don't need their approval. Who are they? So I can kind of understand the thought process there. He also was really good friends with Malcolm X, who was part of the Nation of Islam. But then due to some opinion differences, he split with them. And unfortunately, Ali did not follow Malcolm X. He stayed with the Nation of Islam, although he did later part ways with them. He started adhering to Sunni Islam and then went back to supporting racial integration, just like Malcolm X had always preached. And poor Malcolm X. I feel like Malcolm X is another one of those characters who specifically in white narratives is vilified so much. And he's often presented as sort of the antithesis to Dr. Martin Luther King, because of course, we only like protests when it's peaceful, which is absolutely ridiculous. Because if you look at modern day sports figures like Colin 
Kaepernick, who was peacefully protesting and he's been vilified and torn apart and terrible things done to him. People don't even like it when they peacefully protest. Yeah, so poor Malcolm X, I think, was an incredibly interesting, smart, radical figure. And he's just been shat on, essentially. But then again, when it comes to history, which figure who fights against the mainstream narrative hasn't in some way, shape, or form been destroyed? Yeah, but I feel like Malcolm X is sort of having a comeback or being reconsidered because at the time he was considered extremely dangerous and he actually was extremely dangerous to the establishment, which was a racist, terrible establishment. And I feel like Muhammad Ali also, actually, what we forget now is that he was terribly like vilified and hated by also black people, white people. He was just not acting how he was supposed to be acting. And at the time, he was not a hero. And now we we admire him. This idea of how we expect black people to be is very interesting. I was looking a bit into the history of boxing. In 1908, Jack Johnson fought Tommy Burns and became the first African-American heavyweight champion of the world. And the response to this was everyone in the US was looking for what they called the Great White Hope to take back the title. But what was really interesting about Jack Johnson, who was, you know, the first black guy to basically win this title, he frightened many white Americans, not only because he represented this radical, weird idea of black superiority, but also because he was just not intimidated by white people and he openly talked to, like, white women and stuff. Considering this is in 1908, so... Emmett Till was in 1955, so he could have died with doing this. But then Joe Lewis sort of took this title after him. And it's interesting because you were saying, you know, when you see a lot of sports people, you know, they don't have much to say or anything. But I think Lewis, for example, his management set down rules for him, which they shared freely with reporters. So, for example, they tried to like pit him against what Johnson had been and they said he could not be seen in public with white women. Um, He had to be seen as Bible reading, which Martin Luther King was Christian at least, So, like, whereas Malcolm X was not. So that's already a break within what is good and bad in this worldview of stuff. He had to be seen as God-fearing and, to quote, not to be too black. So Ali, when he's stepping into the role as champion heavyweight, in some way, there's a whole history there and there's a whole politics there. And because certain people could take certain titles in certain sports, then, you know, it opened up to like baseball or because Jesse Owens was able to beat Germany in the 1936 Olympics and Hitler was annoyed, then the Americans all got behind these black guys who were winning because nationalism and racism and all these things kind of came together. But as a black athlete, I think they have a lot. They can't just play sport. Uh, obviously, when you're young and you grow up and you're like, I like this thing, you can just do it. But at some point, a lot of black athletes transcend whatever the hell it is they're doing. If you look at Simone Biles, the Olympic gold medalist gymnast, who also has a tattoo of a goat on her, or she, she stitches goats onto her thing. So she's super influenced by Muhammad Ali. And she also says, it's really, in the end, it's not really about the sport. It's, it's about your character and your beliefs and bringing everyone up. 
Clarissa Shields is also kind of doing the same thing for black women. All of those NFL players. And obviously there are people, we can't expect that of all people and all black people. And then there are, there's, you know, there's Michael Jordan. Great, but he's Michael Jordan. There's nothing else really. He didn't transcend that. So in order to like take all of that as well and to do those, those things is, it's a lot. And it's really special. Not everyone does it. And it's really actually amazing. Yeah, in his time when he was suspended from fighting while he was waiting for the verdict on whether or not he, you know, had to go to jail, he spent a lot of his time traveling and talking at colleges and giving speeches. And when you listen to him talk, you're like, yeah, this man is on to something. He was very good at it. They show a couple of the first ones when he was just starting on and obviously he wasn't good because everything takes practice. But at the end, he was speaking truths and using his platform at a time when that really wasn't the case for a lot of people. Not a lot of athletes, as you were saying, were speaking up like this. And yeah, he was breaking the mold. He wasn't playing the role of what a black man was supposed to be, of what an athlete was supposed to be. There was a part in the documentary where they talk about the fight of the century, which is this fight between Joe Frazier and Ali, which was on Monday, March 8th, 1971 at Madison Square Garden. And I couldn't help but think about The Pretend It's a City by Fran Leibovitz because she talks about how she went to that fight and she's being interviewed by Spike Lee. And Spike Lee is just like, oh my God, you went to that fight? So amazing. And Fran's just like, oh, I don't know anything about boxing. I don't really care about boxing. I went to go see the clothes. The clothes were amazing. It was a fashion show. And they showed some shots of this fight and it really was. Everyone was there. Diana Ross, Marvin Gaye. They list so many like amazing celebrities. Now I can't think of a single one of them. And they show some of the clothes that these people wore. And Fran was right. Amazing fashion show. People looked so great. And yeah, and this fight was between Joe Frazier and Ali. And Frazier won. Ali lost. And I think it was his first loss. Yeah, it was, you know, after he, it was after his comeback, after he hadn't fought for, I think it was like three and a half, nearly four years. He was 29. He really had missed his prime. And a lot of them made the note that he was, he was slower. He didn't move as fast as elegantly. Like he had sort of lost what made him, you know, the great boxer. And I'm like, well, yeah, you don't fight for three years. You don't fight for four years. And I mean, 29 is not old. That's incredibly young. But in such a physically demanding sport, in any sport really, you see it with football players too, and sorry, soccer players, 29, 30, they're done. You know, you've put your body through such intense things, like at 30, you're over, you can't do it anymore. So he, you know, lost some of his best years. But really, I don't think he lost any of his best years, really, because Ali was at his best when he was talking. You know, he was in some way, shape, or form, he was more than a boxer because he was an entertainer. You know, he would say these amazing speeches. He would, he would trash talk. He could get really mean sometimes. They were talking to one of his friends who said that the meaner and more aggressive he got, it meant that he was kind of really scared. And specifically on this fight with Joe Frazier, he said some terrible things to Joe Frazier. Like, I was kind of disappointed in him. He was using some very racially loaded terms towards Joe Frazier, and that was not cool. And it was very hard to listen to. But one of the nice things that they did say about this fight was Ali lost, but it actually made people like him more because it made him human. It humanized him. 
That's what Mike Tyson was also saying. His words were, <laughs> Ali was disgusting in the ring. Like, he did a lot of psychological warfare as well. He would just say the most disgusting things. He would talk about screwing their mothers and their sisters and all this, just everything. He would just be talking constantly, which, you know, the referees wouldn't even repeat what he was saying because it was so bad. And the other thing about being human he was very human and that's not to be forgotten either. I think one of his biggest regrets was falling out with Malcolm X, which was a friendship that failed and that was Ali's fault. He didn't let a resolution happen there and also he was terrible to women, to his wives. So he was human and he had his flaws and he was full of contradictions also. Like, he was full of love and then full of insults. He was all over the place, really. But just what a character. And he really was himself. And to be yourself is to be, like, fully human, too. Yeah, they were interviewing his wife, Belinda, and she was saying that he was the most generous person you've ever met in your life. Like, he would leave the house with $30,000 in cash and come home with none of it. Because he would just give it to people. And one of his, I, I can't remember if it was like a trainer or just a friend of his who he was training with. A man comes into their gym and he's in a wheelchair and he doesn't have legs and he asks them for some money. And Ali gives him all the money he has. And the person he's with, he's like, he's just going to keep coming back. Like, you're not actually helping him. And Ali just looks at him and goes, he doesn't have any legs. What do you mean? And it's just this generosity that he had and I think a genuine love for people. But yeah, he was not very nice to his wife. He cheated on her. I don't think affair is the right word, right? Because I feel like affair implies long term, but you just have constant one night stands and flings. So he wasn't very great to his wife. And there was an interview where he's talking about his children and about how he can play with them for 20 minutes and then he kind of loses interest. He doesn't have the intention span to do it. But then they were talking to his wife, Belinda, and she was saying, he took care of us. He made sure we had everything we needed. You know, she, she made sure to emphasize, she's like, yeah, he, you know, he didn't have the attention span to play with the kids, but he was a great father. Like, he was never cruel or mean to them. He loved them. He made sure to spend time with them, even if it was only 20 minutes. He, you know, they never lacked for anything. He was there for all their needs. He made sure to express his love to them. So she made sure to emphasize that he was an amazing father. And I think it's good that Muhammad Ali has flaws and that we don't see him as this amazing, perfect figure because humans are humans and no one's a hero. No one's perfect. And I think that it's very damaging to sort of idolize people in that way and erase all their flaws because you erase what makes them human. And I was about to say being human is great, but well, but the humanity in our heroes is what makes them worth idolizing yeah it's a bit like saying like it's so hard for all of these black athletes to stand up and to for people to to be perfect like it's an impossible standard it was really interesting because recently not that recently i think the last the last paralympics the campaign that they did was called we the 15 because 15 percent of the world's population apparently is disabled which is actually a massive amount of people the first Paralympic campaign I really liked, I think it was in London. My sense of time has gone a bit, so I can't place the dates exactly. But the first Paralympic campaign was amazing because 
after the Olympics, you know, you had these like superhero Paralympics just being like, thanks for the warm up and just showing that they were even better than Olympians. But then the second campaign, they just took disabled people from all walks of life and showed how they had completely normal lives. So they went to the supermarket, they prayed and they weren't praying for new legs. They were just praying to win the lottery or something and all this kind of stuff because it just really humanized them. Otherwise, we look to disabled people always as inspirations or to sports people as always inspirations or we look at them as something to be pitied and a tragedy. And really, they're just humans doing the best human job that they can do. And the thing with Ali is, what made him special, I think, for me, is that he was 100% true to himself. He was the fullest version of himself. And I think that he said some, somewhere in, a, in one of his multiple rants or interviews that, like, in the end, even though he lost a lot of stuff and there was a lot of sacrifice, he had his freedom. And freedom is this choice to be fully who you are and not compromising for a championship, for playing the game, playing by anyone else's rules, changing yourself to fit into what anyone else thinks you should be. But he had complete freedom. And yeah, he was human. But I think for me, that's the key. Is there something that you think is particularly really inspiring or amazing about him? It's incredibly admirable that he stuck to his principles even when faced with severe consequences. He believed in it so much. Not being who people expected him to be is so admirable. He didn't play the role that was expected of him. And yeah, he was himself, as you were saying. And I think just his political involvement is really inspirational. And I think his guts to speak up at a time when that was a really difficult thing to do is incredibly inspirational. Not that his only purpose is to inspire, but I do think that's incredibly inspirational. And I just think the fact that, you know, he later admitted that turning away from Malcolm X was a huge mistake, leaving the Nation of Islam, admitting to have done something wrong or to change your mind, to be like, oh, actually, at the beginning I said this, but now I am all for integration. The ability to say, hey, I made a mistake or something I said was wrong is true character to me. And I think that's amazing and something we should all take note of and try to implement in our own lives. And on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, have an ego and have confidence. And when you step into a room, be confident about who you are, have a vision, follow it. There is great power in that sometimes in certain situations. Thing two, like Muhammad Ali, stick to your principles. Walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. If you say something, do something. And thing three, be generous like Muhammad Ali. He made it to the top, but he never forgot where he came from and he never stopped pulling up and advocating and fighting for all the people who had nothing, who were being bombed or bullied. He was really generous, not just with his money, but also with his platform, with his voice, with his actions. And that's something we can all try to do. That's all from us this week. Until next week, goodbye. 
If you like this show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com/misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.